0: Welcome back guys, strong back, soft front, it is me, Emily, and today I have a really special guest. Um, her name is Joanna, and I call her Cheeky too, and I just want to say welcome to the podcast, Joanna.
1: Thank you, hello, thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, obviously, this is kind of funny though, because you and I are really good friends.
1: Yeah. Yes, the best of friends. Friend.
0: Yeah, you like my you
1: one of my soul people. Yeah. Deep, um,
0: unwavering love for you. That's how I <laughs>
1: <laughs> would describe it.
0: Yeah, and I feel exactly the same too. Um, it is funny though, because now we're recording this podcast and actually we haven't spoken in such a long time.
1: I know, I honestly don't know how long. I know it feels long, but, yeah. um, but my concept of time at the moment is just... Life is so crazy, life's so busy, but yes. How long? How long has it been? Do you know? Months, months and months. Months, yeah. Yeah, yeah too long. So, this is going to
0: be funny because obviously, this is two friends having an, a catch up whilst we're going to talk about uh, a topic that I wanted to talk about, and I could not think of anyone better than to talk about it with you.
1: No, well, it is one of my favorite topics, definitely. All the best <laughs> chats revolve around this topic. So.
0: Yeah. so today, guys, we want to talk about sexuality and our relationship and our journey with our relationship, because I know, obviously, I know my journey in, in the ins and outs of it because I've experienced it since I was, you know, I'm 32 today. So the life of my sexuality and how it's grown and where it started and how it's evolved, um, but then also, cause I've always looked at you, you and I've known each other for 10 years, by the way, can you imagine? Oh, this? Yay. So beautiful. And I always looked at you as this sexual goddess that was so just in tune in your body. And this is obviously my perception of you, which is also why I wanted to talk to you about it because my perception of, of your sexuality and how you expressed yourself, I looked up to it. I was like, wow, that's how I feel inside, but I'm not expressing it on the outside. Um, so you've definitely inspired me to my (laughs) to my cheekiness, I think, because you let me blossom because I've watched you be the way that you are. But then also knowing that you probably have an inside that's maybe even not even close to my perception of your sexuality and 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 your aura, right? So I just want to like have a conversation about it and see if we have similar similarities or if you're just the baddest sexual (laughs) sexual woman I've ever known right so
1: well one yes I like to think of myself that way but no you said two really interesting things there because it is definitely a journey and I've had my own kind of epic journey with I guess my sexuality and sexual expression and what it what it means on a larger scale, like what that, like it always reflects something larger I find in my life. Like it's not a separate thing. Um, And also, yeah, it's interesting. Of course, I don't know. I think your perception is accurate in one sense, but also it tells only part of a story, I suppose. You know, of course there's always something else going on inside and on one hand, I am sexually confident, but not necessarily confident, you know. Um, I suppose I have moments. I, I, I guess what I know of myself is that one state is never constant. It's not a constant. I don't think that you, you know, you don't wake up every day with the same sense of self and the same knowing, you know, one day you're, the most confident person in the world and the next day you're wrestling with it again so I think obviously and it's not the first time I've heard that that is the perception that I do give off I've heard that so many times and when when you hear something a few times for a few different people you understand that it's true right you need like the feedback from the world I guess so I know that that is true that's how I come across because um, I've heard it from so many people and so, so many times and so many different scenarios. Because, of course, you know that I also worked as an art model for a long time. So I used to literally take all my clothes off and stand completely naked in front of huge groups of strangers who would paint me in nine million different ways. Um, which is its own wonderful form of therapy, because you see yourself through the eyes of, you know, so many people literally there interpreted on the page. Um Yeah, yeah. What can I say? Really, where to begin? I don't know. Um, You still do? When I met you, sorry, say that again. Do you still do the life modeling? I did until recently. Um, I started life modeling for extra cash, and these days it just doesn't really pay enough. To be honest, it takes so much time that actually I was making more cash doing other things. So. Yeah, so I actually stopped again because it was just too much. People want you to book very, very far in advance. You know, you end up with bookings in the calendar that then the day comes it doesn't serve you because you could have been doing something else and making three times as much money, you know. So it really has always been for me about the money. And But it had, I guess, just bonuses, perks of the job where I met a lot of interesting people. I saw a lot of beautiful places, like the places that I got to model that I wouldn't have necessarily seen the inside of. Like um, the best place I ever modelled was part of Greenwich University. It's uh, this huge square room, huge high ceiling. It's um, I think it is the gallery for something like the gallery for the Museum of Maritime something. They had all these wonderful old oil paintings of like old sailors and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's in Greenwich university, as you know, that huge building with pillars and, you know, they use it every film ever made that has some big old grand building in, and it was just, and I was right at this, they had this marble floor, this mosaic marble floor. And it's a huge room, but it was the way it was designed. It all led to the center. It kind of spiraled in with the center and I was posing right at the center of this floor, just feeling, very grand and epic, you know, part of some, yes, exactly, some actually, kind of- uh, Of the ancient yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah, something very ancient and grand and, you know, romantic and just fantastical actually, you know, and um, yeah.
0: So I wanna go back then, because it obviously starts somewhere, like when did you start to experience this sexual energy or the sexual interest that you've
1: had? I, I can kind of pinpoint it quite precisely, actually. It was when I went to college. So I, well, I became aware of my sexual feelings when I was about 12, I would say. So, you know, the kind of standard age, basically your hormones start going crazy. And um, I was like aware that I was interested in sex from a young age and horny. Basically, <laughs> I was really horny. And it was something I was aware of, but I didn't grow up in a house where I've, I guess I've cultivated my own kind of approach to sex because it it was a little bit taboo. There was a little bit of shame around it. So it wasn't that, it's, it's kind of difficult. I guess I guess it's just a product of my mum's generation, I suppose. It's not that she was a prude or anti-sex, but it was pre- sex in the city and pre this idea that it's okay to just you know openly talk about it so she would answer any questions that i had but she did, she wasn't exactly forthcoming with the information and i and i remember feeling that she'd left it too late so i remember she tried to sit down and have the talk with me you know <laughs> much much later probably around you're, the same time i'd gone to college now. <laughs> you're 18 <laughs> Let's yes, exactly, that. yes, you're going to, yes, exactly. Um, and I just remember thinking, oh, you're, you're much too late. <laughs> I already know all of this and, you know. Um, but yes, so I didn't feel, I basically, I just didn't feel that I could talk to her about my feelings. Um, so I didn't really, and I have a brother. I don't have any sisters. I don't really have much, fam- much in the way of family anyway. I had no female relatives. I didn't really have a female role model that I could talk to about sex. So I kind of, so the TV, quite honestly, like I grew up watching Sex and the City and honestly the television had a huge impact on how I am, I would say, and how I learnt that it was okay to talk about it and to be single and sexual and, you know, enjoy sex and that it wasn't a crime, you know. yeah, <laughs> so between television and um, college, uh, yeah, so I, I, I went to college, so I had a bit of a weird time at school, I ended up being home educated from the age of 14, so for the last two years of high school I was quite isolated, and um, so just studying at home, really didn't see many people my own age at all. So then I decided to go back to mainstream college at 16 and was suddenly back in an environment with you know thousands of young people my age and it was like I don't know it was like you know the kid in the candy shop I was just like so happy to see people because I'm actually quite a social person so it was like I basically I did no studying at all college was a complete failure but I went to a lot of parties and I made a lot of friends and I had the best time they were the best couple of years Mm. but that's when I that's when I became aware that I was attractive as a female because I left school at kind of that age where you're still developing and I wasn't really I was kind of a late bloomer so didn't have much in the way of boobs really when I left I was a bit I'd say I'm an ugly duckling like I think I'm absolutely bloody gorgeous now but I think it took like I've got quite a square face I I would say it took me a while to grow into my looks you know like I wasn't the archetypal female like slim I, I didn't have a petite figure so as a younger person you have I think a different idea of what is attractive um so Yeah, it wasn't until I got to college and by the time I arrived there, I'd lost a lot of weight and grown boobs and suddenly became aware that I was attractive and that people were paying me attention. And it Mm. was just like, I was just unstoppable then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just wanted to, you know, I wanted all the attention. Um, Yeah. Mm. And um, so I just kind of, I was dating as much as I could, you know, slogging as many boys as I could at parties, you know, um, several in one night normally. Um, I mean, that was also owing to the kind of friends that I had. You know, they're, I guess they were all a bit wild. I suppose I kind of fell into that group, you know. I was drawn to them, I suppose. Um,
0: Yeah. We've, yeah. I think we're, we started off very differently in terms of... Okay um for me I was never really interested in boys but I was also a very late bloomer I was probably like two years later than everyone else and I still wonder if I bloomed because I still don't have any tits so I mean maybe that's me being young forever it's like the definition yeah. is you need to have tits as a woman so yeah right anyway. but for me I remember not being interested uh and actually being uh I mean I had my very first boyfriend when I was 15 uh, and that's when I was starting my sexual journey but I didn't enjoy it it was just something that I did because I thought that's what all everyone else does Mm -hmm. and we can always argue that he was probably not necessarily the nicest boy to be around and that might have impacted it Um, but you know after that relationship I I actually thought I was asexual for a very long time I was not oh, that's so interesting. interesting
1: I had a phase like that as well but please go on get yeah. back to that
0: later. but I remember it and I remember it feeling like I was abnormal to everyone else because just I wasn't interested um I I knew that I and I was like, maybe I'm lesbian, like I was actually questioning myself, like maybe I'm this, maybe I'm that, but everyone else seems to be doing this and that and seems to be loving it. But I was very reserved to it. And um, yeah, so I was literally up until the point, I mean, I think I dated people, but I wasn't sexually active until I was probably... 1819 again. I remember then because I met my other like my the guy I actually fell in love with and like the, bro, the the heartache of my life. I was 19 and he was the one and I realized I'm like fucking hell I love sex. But up until that <laughs> point, I was like, yeah. sex for me. I didn't, I didn't I didn't associate a good feeling to sex. Um so it was very interesting between those say two, three years when i literally thought a i was asexual and i was actually looking it up i'm like this, there, there's there's a def- like there's a definition that you can mm-hmm. be sexual um and i was i remember feeling like i was inadequate for it because i was like is this really who i am someone who doesn't enjoy other people um so that was like a little identity crisis for a while. And then obviously he came and, like, obviously showed me that I was wrong. Uh, so just took the right <laughs> yeah. to, to point yeah. me in the right direction. But that was the start of my, I guess, expression of sexuality. It was like, I actually didn't think I had one.
1: Um, yeah, that's so- interesting. I get, yeah, totally, like I say, a totally different starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think it's easy to talk about things in hindsight, it was obviously a lot more confusing when I was young because I went through a lot of different phases. Like I also wondered if I was asexual for a time because I wasn't attracted to anyone for a long time. Um, And then later on I realized it's just because I hadn't found anyone that attractive. You know what I mean? Like maybe I'm just pickier than I thought. And it takes a lot of uh, mental stimulation I've realized in my older years as well that just having a nice body does absolutely nothing for me, really. Um, I have to wait and see what, you know, comes out of someone's mouth when they speak. Cause I can't, I just can't separate the two so cleanly like that. Um, and I also wondered if I was a lesbian for a time just because I enjoyed the company of women more. Um, And that went on for quite a long time, but then, you know, as I say, sex for me is entangled in everything else. So then I realized I was just so angry at men for a long time. I couldn't bear the thought of being with one. Like they didn't deserve it, you know, they didn't deserve my love and affection. So, and then, um, yeah, so I've been through like a lot of different phases, but in hindsight, well, I, I also, I do ascribe to the idea that sexuality can be fluid as well, because even though I would describe myself as very kind of standard heterosexual, um, I have occasionally been attracted to a woman. I have actually had sex with a woman, and um, but it's very, very rare, you know, and and I guess what defines it for me is I couldn't actually picture myself spending the rest of my life with a woman. Like, it's like a fleeting fancy, but, but then again, that may change. You know, I wouldn't, I also wouldn't say that that is a static state, but it's how I've felt up until now. Like I definitely feel heterosexual most of the time. I'd say most of the time, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think,
0: I think women are by far more beautiful than men, regardless. But I, I've never personally felt the, wow, her I want to be in bed with. I've been playing with the idea of it because it, it, I'm curious. Like For me, like I'm always coming from a curious perspective. I'm like, things I don't know, I would like to know. Things I haven't experienced, I'd like to experience. Um, but I've never personally gone there for whatever reason. Um, but I personally enjoy looking at women more than I enjoy looking at men, I think. I think women are beautiful in all shapes and forms.
1: Um, yeah. yeah. Actually, and, I, kind of, I kind of feel that way about all people though. I don't know, I've, I've definitely gotten less, um, I guess maybe it's not that I've changed over the years, but I've undone my programming to the point where I don't ascribe to standard you know what society or at least western society considers beautiful like I when I was younger I thought there was one way to be you know there was one body type and the goal was to get there and that's what was attractive but I do think that's a lot a lot of conditioning that I've undone over the years and I find so many kinds of people attractive in so many shapes and sizes and I think it just comes down to not caring like I don't give a shit if what someone else I don't care for the judgment like if I find something attractive I'm not worried what someone else thinks about that about me finding that attractive you know even if it's not beautiful.
0: Mm.
1: so but
0: uh, I mean for me there is the difference between finding something aesthetically beautiful and attractive As you said before, like it has to be a level of intellect behind the person for for, in order for me to find that person attractive, and there has to be a almost like a a similar vibration. There needs to be a vibration which is appealing, which is has nothing to do with the body, the physical. It's like the energy that someone sends out, which is why like I think you're fucking awesome, and like your sexual energy is mesmerizing because it's it's something that touches you. Um, like I love being around you because the energy that you—I mean, you're—you're you're an awesome person. But like, I love the energy that you have, which makes me feel a specific way, and it has nothing to do with what you do, what you look like, what you say. It's like an energy that you have, and I think that's attraction, you know? Yeah, like- pure essence or energy. Now I'm not sexually attracted to it, but I, there's something that attracts me to it. Um, yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, I'm a big believer in energy, like the energies of people and that we can't necessarily see everything that's going on, you know, Um, even if it comes down to pure chemical biology, like we don't have all the answers yet. I definitely don't have all the answers, but for no logical reason, sometimes you are attracted to someone and uh, maybe it's chemical, maybe it's energy because I'm a big believer in You know, some people drain your energy, some people boost your energy, but people, other people can actually affect your energy. And there's something really powerful in that.
0: Mm.
1: And yeah, so you have to be careful who you, you know, spend your time with for that reason as well. And same with sexual partners. I spent a long time, like years and years and years, because I I didn't have a real boyfriend till I was 26. I'd had a couple of people i called boyfriends for the briefest period of time but but it was very shallow not a real relationship you know i didn't really have a relationship with someone until i was 26 and so you know i went all the way through university single in london which was amazing as you know (laughs) so you know um it's like the candy shop of the world i had years and years and years of frequent casual sex with many 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 different people and um And even though I wasn't looking for a relationship, I was able to separate. You know, there's this idea that women can't have casual sex and they get attached, which is completely wrong. Um, I'm completely able to not get attached and to enjoy somebody sexually and then, you know, to move on with my life and let them go. Um, However, having said that, anyone you have sex with, or at least this is my experience, Affects your energy, you know, so you still have to be careful who you allow that close to you, even if it's not emotionally, but even physically, you know, because you're letting somebody inside your, I don't know, personal space, you're just, you know, your boundary, you're letting someone, and, and as a woman, the difference between having sex as a man and a woman is that as a woman, you are literally letting somebody inside your body because of the way that we're designed. You know, and that's the difference, I think. And that's also part of the reason that men and women have a different concept of sex. Because for a man, no one's ever actually... Okay, for heterosexual men, excuse me, because obviously there are lots and lots of ways to have sex as a man as well. But for heterosexual men, they are giving. They're not receiving. They're never actually letting their walls down completely and allowing someone inside, you know, inside of their body. Now I'm sure there are people that would disagree with me, but I think that if you just look at that thing in the most basic way, that explains some of the discourse between men and women's ideas of sex and some of the differences, you know? Um,
0: Um, I want to, I want to actually just dig on that. Um, and actually ask you a question, because this is another, uh, I think, journey that I've been on, uh, whether you are a giver or a receiver. Um, obviously, as in, we receive in something inside of us, but are we really receptive and receiving, or are we just giving? Because I know that in my early 20s, I, I never really received. I always gave. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But but partly because I didn't know how to receive. Um, Because when you are at the receiving end, you have to be fully kind of open and vulnerable to to that receiving, which means that you're at a place where you're more unsafe, where you feel more unsafe. And so if you are then choosing either just a sexual partner or a partner, and you are not fully safe, you can't actually be receiving. And I've experienced that in in relationship, I mean, definitely with people that I've just had casual sex with is that, are you really as much as, and I agree with you, with all of you say, like, you can definitely separate, this is just sex or this is intimacy and they don't have to go hand in hand. They can intertwine, you can go in and out of it. Um, you kinda, you know what you're there for. And sometimes it's just a, I just wanna have fun right? Uh, Because that could be an expression of something that you want. I just want to have a fun time, or I want to have an intimate time, or, you know, I want a release of some sort. There's so many ways to approach sex, I think, that we can't just say that sex is a blanket statement, because it's not. Uh, It's so dependent on where you are emotionally and energetically, but also why you're choosing to have it. Uh, and then oh, what the yeah. other thinks well, like, because I think true intimacy, it can only be with two people are at the same, at the same. Otherwise, it's just sex, even though I would want to be intimate with, would say that I have like my old partner. If I wanted to be intimate with him, but he wasn't there, it would just be sex. And I would still not be, right. yeah. because I was, I could, I could energetically and emotionally feel that he wasn't connected to me. Mm hmm. So therefore,
1: I think um, there are levels, levels and levels to it. And um, you're right, like to for a true, you know, and and we've all had. Well, I've been lucky enough, I would say, to have a few of those moments in my life where you have a true. Timeless moment of connection and it happens to coincide with the orgasm. And that's the best feeling in the world. But it's definitely rare, isn't it? It's definitely rare. Your first orgasm. Oh my foot! Fir- the very first one mm-hmm. I was in the shower I think I was 14 and um, you know we had a shower head that so you could adjust the jet so I guess my horny feelings had led me to experiment with this I don't know where I got the idea probably television again and um, T- yeah and I gave six my six orgasm. what's that
0: Samantha in the city of course
1: yeah, it probably was, you know, I probably got the idea from television, but yeah, I um, but I didn't actually realise what it was, like, again, because I was ignorant, like, because even though I knew, okay, as a woman, and I hope this is changing, and I think it is, and I see the younger generation getting even, you know, more and more open and able to talk about stuff, But even though I knew about the function of sex, I knew about safe sex, I knew about periods, blah, blah, no one had ever taught me about female pleasure. I didn't know what a clitoris was. I didn't know what it was for. And yeah, so I had an orgasm and I didn't even realize what it was until I guess I kept repeating this experience and eventually I understood what was happening. But yeah, it's the funniest thing, isn't it? I mean, so... I guess I would say the first one wasn't earth shattering um, because it was disconnected from, uh, it was just me on my own. And I wasn't even trying to do that. So it wasn't like I was, I would say I wasn't even in the mood particularly. You know, (laughs) I don't even know what was going on that day, but um, yeah, it took me a while to realize what had happened Mm. Um, ages. And I think it was a long time in between. So it happened the first time and because I hadn't done it deliberately and I didn't, like so it was a while before the next one um yeah uh, yeah how about
0: so, you yeah mine was obviously with my that boyfriend when I was 19 and this is I mean and but this was a full body orgasm because I really think there are levels to orgasms as, as well. yeah, yeah
1: there are there are so many levels <laughs>
0: you know this was a full body experience and I had no idea what it was like I was literally <laughs> I was yeah I mean and this is at the point I was like okay I fucking love this shit you know it's like okay (laughs) I'm like I'm not sexual I kind of enjoy this because it was like it was a full body thing it was like it was tingles in my entire body and I was actually I mean he was probably fucking confused but I was laughing and crying and I was like just fucking couldn't do anything and I was actually crying for like several minutes afterwards and I was just so confused and I still had no idea and he's like Babe, you had an orgasm. I'm like, oh. And then I got really ashamed. I remember, like, whoa, I actually felt like, "Mm." and you know, and and it's so funny that you you talked about, like, because obviously your first orgasm you gave to yourself through a a, a way of masturbation, right? For me, I didn't masturbate until I was fucking like old. (laughs) Like, Brilliant. yeah, it was so strange to be connected to myself I was so disconnected from my body and myself that I couldn't actually do it to myself now obviously like now I fucking love it and if, if you've been single for a long time it's like what are you gonna do and I'm I am more selective with the people I want to even let into my space for that reason of energy and you know just preserve myself in that way um yeah. and so yeah I remember being in Sydney and you're like oh, we're gonna go and get you get, get your vibrator I'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah vibrator shopping. I, I, I got myself my first toy I can't actually remember how old I was but I probably was like 25 and until that point I've never really experienced with like experimented with myself and I was like this is so awkward and 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 I just felt so awkward, pleasing myself. Um, Why do you think that was? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, it's so interesting. And then I remember like we would have chats and I remember like being in your house or drinking like tea or red wine, it might have been. And, you know, you would just talk so openly about like all of the self-pleasuring and, you know. And, and, <laughs> and there was a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. just thinking what am i missing out on here like why why am i not even feeling the urge of touching myself so i was like okay i'm gonna try this out and it was really awkward and i was like, okay i need a tool so actually that's when i went to buy one it's still the best one i have today because i have bought many yeah like, um but it, it took me a very long time to get into like the whole thing about self-pleasuring but i think it was the key to unlocking being able to be so free in my body, to be honest, and to be yeah. free in my body with a
1: man. So absolutely. absolutely, yeah. I think, um, yeah, you you have to dive in yourself, definitely. And um, I mean, I'm in, I'm in a relationship now, but between this relationship and my previous relationship, um, I set about on a mission. I think I'd been in an unhappy relationship for several years and our sex life was non-existent. And it was like, you know, when you get to that stage, you start thinking about all the things that you haven't done that you might never get to do again. You know, you start making a mental list. And, um, and then there I was single. So I went, right, I've got this list. <laughs> I'm going to do all these things on this list, you know? I'm going to get to really know myself, you know, find out what I like. You know, there's so many things to try, so many toys to buy. Um, I'd had a lot of sexual partners, but in very regular ways, I would say. I'd never really had like weird or exciting or random sex, you know, it would have been quite regular. And like good, good sex, a lot of successful sex, but like, I had a list of things I wanted to do, you know. So I set about ticking things off the list. And in a very short space of time, I really learned a lot about my own physical pleasure and what gets me off and, you know, what pushes my buttons. So that I, like now, in my next relationship, I'm able to, yeah, communicate better. We have a better sex life because I know my body better than I did in my last relationship. So for me, it's it's so important um mm. and it took a lot of time because you said something earlier which was interesting and I totally agree with I can't remember exactly what it was but to do with the fact that no I've totally lost it but um where was I going with this being connected Self-care maybe connection um no it's, it's totally totally lost me what we're talking about pleasuring oneself yeah all the time <laughs> yeah yeah
0: I think it's I mean it, it it made a huge difference but also because that means that you are in control over your own pleasure as well and you're not just expecting someone else to give it to you which means uh, that-,
1: that was it yes receiving yeah. pleasure I would say I didn't receive pleasure for a long time because I didn't know how, like I didn't know, because as a woman, I think we're, again, I see this changing in the generation beneath and I'm so pleased, but absolutely conditioned to please men. And I'm so aware of that now. And it's like, I'm slowly undoing that, but I had no idea how to enjoy sex when I was young. I didn't know what that meant for a woman. Do you know what I mean? I knew, again, I knew how sex worked. I knew about the function of sex, but I didn't know what felt good. I didn't know how to ask for it, because I didn't know. Mm. And it takes a long time to find these things out, right?
0: Yeah. And then, it, it, on the other hand, and then this is a very big generalisation, but on the other side of it, you have men who might not be in tune with actually knowing how to pleasure someone and then but also how fucking many women are failing by not telling guys what they like so guys get away with what they pornos them that women. it's like whoa it's actually so far away from the porno that you can come yeah the porn is just nice and fun and you can do it for shit but if you actually want pleasure in the sense of like getting someone to orgasm like it's not
1: the porno it is like no, it tends to be a lot slower, it's, and it's it doesn't look so good on camera, right? Yeah, it's, it's a slow, lot
0: monotonous, yeah.
1: close body yeah. rubbing. Yes, like, exactly. Gentle, <laughs> very small motions instead of large, grand <laughs> motions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: So it, it's so funny. Yeah. It's like so, but how are we as women? Because that, that's another thing: the fear of expression of actually. I enjoy what we're doing. Like, it's just the thing. Like, I think pleasure is more also than just an orgasm. Like, I can have sex with a man without orgasm and still think that I had really good sex, right? Yeah, so it's definitely. Not it, it's not. Even though, yeah. obviously, climaxing is, like, fucking awesome and you want to do it all the time. And it's like, especially if you're, like, close to it, it's like, if I don't get this one, <laughs> like. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's just that you know the the spectrum of what pleasure is but then just understanding that that we need to learn how to express what it means and actually say like actually that's okay we can do it because it's fun or it's like it's kinky or whatever it's like but if you really want to pleasure me this is where we need to go because that's just not doesn't work for me so yeah
1: that is like I'm a great believer in you know, unless you've tried your best to communicate, you can't blame someone else. You know, for your failings. It's like if you can't tell your partner what you want, well, find out how. You know, go and read a book. If you don't have the vocabulary, go and get it. You know, it's like go and work out how to communicate, and don't just stay silent and seething at someone. You know, because um, I say seething because it can really make you angry, right? If you're if you're with a partner and they're just incapable of satisfying you. It, you know, it becomes this like real, it's a really huge for me at least part of a relationship. And it, you know, it becomes it becomes a real issue. And I'm sure it does for a lot of people. And I'm sure this is why a lot of people get divorced, because they're completely incapable of telling their partner how they want to be pleasured because there's only so much time you can, you know, sex like anything will stagnate if you're not actively working on it, you know, Um, like every other aspect of relationship. It's like, you can't just set the standard and roll with it. You have to keep exploring and keep delving into it and keep, keep finding out new things. And, um, you know, as soon as that starts to stagnate, I'm not saying that sex is everything in a relationship, But it is a huge component. And if you, you know, you can't neglect it. It comes down to trust and vulnerability, right? It's like you truly trust your partner. And if you're truly vulnerable emotionally, then why can you not be open and vulnerable sexually? I think sex is always a reflection of truly how open and vulnerable you are with someone. Yeah. There's like nowhere to hide, you
0: know? Yeah. Um, No, I agree. Uh, But also the only thing that really differentiates between a relationship and an intimate relationship is the intimacy, right? So sex is important, albeit there's no rules for how often, how long, like that's something that's going to be down to each relationship. But the fact is that when sex goes away, you're cohabiting,
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. That is, I think, the crux of it right there. It's like if you don't have a sexual relationship, and and it exposes everything else, right? If you don't have a sexual relationship with the person that you've decided to cohabitate with, are they really the person that you want to talk to every day of your life? That's what it comes down to, right? It's like you've chosen this one person. Because sex can fill in a lot of holes, I think. Um... can distract you from what's really there like you say like you know a long-term relationship without sex is like a best friendship you are like living with your best friend but are they really the best friend you want to live with you know when you have so many great friends is that is that the one person who can stimulate your mind you know is that the most stimulating conversation you're going to have today and if the answer is no (laughs) get out you know like that and there's no sex well what am I here for you know what I mean it's like um
0: yeah but also I think because as I know that when I feel connected and sexual and and literally being in tune with that I feel at my best so sex is an expression of that it's not all the ways that you can express your sexuality I don't think so but Sex is part of it, and therefore, if it goes away, there's a void that you're not able to. It's like a medium which you're not expressing yourself with, and also because we are by nature animals, we will want to feel the sexual energy. I think to in order for us to feel good, there needs to be a sexual energy. I think sexual energy is like part of your drive, part of your you know motivation. Um, I see, yeah. So I I really think like again sex is important how often that's irrelevant but it, it is important um yeah, and if it's not nice.
1: personal to an individual how often right that is you know so so much variety in humanity which is awesome but I think you said something really key there like if there's no sex and you are a person who is who has been sexually active then there's a void there's something even if, you know, sometimes it can come for other reasons, like maybe you take a hiatus, but there's, but it still reflects something going on, you know, some journey that you're on or, yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, that kind of brings me on to another topic, but I mean, I realized, and only recently, like, you know, I'm 33 now and I it still amazes me how I'm constantly discovering things, you know so frequently about my sexuality and sexual drive and my nature. But um, it's only in this relationship that I've realized that I use sex as stress relief, which if you're single is fine, but not if you're in a relationship, because then you are relying on somebody else to give you something that you really, really need. Like I had... Because I was single for so long and because, you know, Tinder was invented just at the right time for ladies of our age. It's like I never I never had to develop a better strategy for coping because the easiest one was sex. Um, It was so easy. It's ridiculous how easy it was to get sex. Yeah. Yeah in my twenties, you know, it's almost like having it on tap, having Tinder, isn't it? If you live in a major city, with millions and millions of people and you have Tinder, you never have to be alone. That's the truth. And um, I didn't realize that I wasn't just having lots of sex cause I enjoyed it, but actually I was really, really stressed. And that was my primary tool for releasing it. And it wasn't until I was in a relationship and I wasn't able to do that and I was getting more and more stressed because you can't make somebody have sex with you every single time you want. It has to be, you know, a consensual act, um, that I've realized that I need to find other ways to cope, you know, and that it's not necessarily healthy, like how much I was relying on it Mm. for pure stress relief, you know, something I could get from, you know, other things. Um, running for example I go running for stress relief as well um you know meditation deep breathing all these things I was choosing second after sex you know um yes that was a huge realization for me that I can't do that anymore if I want to have a happy relationship you know because I can't just demand it whenever it suits me (laughs) but you know stress is a big deal right you have to find an outlet Like, if it comes, you can't just hold on to it. You have to release it. So, for a while, I was in this state of just real anger and frustration because what I wanted to do was release it with sex, but, you know, the other person had other things to do, (laughs) you know? Like, not all the time, but, like, not on my schedule, you know what I mean? Like, you can't expect someone else to be on your schedule. That's not fair. yeah so that's
0: so interesting though
1: and also that
0: means that I mean when you're in an intimate relationship sex is actually about the intimacy and and connection to that person right but then all of a sudden it transformed to a means to release your stress which might have then derailed you from the connection and became more of a this is what I need rather than this is what I want with you um almost like and I'm not saying you objectified him but in a way he became the objective for you to use to have your release and then as nice as it is and as you connect to it but it changed the definition of what sex meant at those points.
1: Absolutely yeah and I, and I think as much as I don't like to say it because it sounds awful but I definitely did become the objector you know I was objectifying my partner in the sense that it's like, well, I have a need. Why won't you give me what I need? Do you know what I mean? Like all me, 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 my need. Um, And not really stopping to consider. I I guess, um, again, another unhealthy idea I've kind of bought through life that men always want to have sex and that it's just about the physical. I guess that was me projecting some ideas that I have. On to my partner as well, which are yeah just ideas, not not the truth, you know. My my generalizations of the male species, um, just really the ugliest part of myself. <laughs> as I talk about this, you know, I sound like a. I guess in that in a lot of ways, I became. I kind of saw the other side of the coin. I guess I became almost like the the male ego you know I kind of became this idea of the you know sex mad you know only physical not caring about the other person's feelings kind of sexual predator (laughs) kind of you know um yeah Uh, Uh, yeah
0: don't you think though that the judgment that we like point outwards is actually really the judgment we feel on our inside like it actually reflects our inner inner right uh, and so, we talked so much. We talked about it before pressing record, the whole thing about like judging others where you don't want yeah. to judge others, but there is judgment. And how I mean, because I felt this judgment. I've had so many judgments this year that I've worked through. And when they when they go, it is actually the most beautiful moment because you're free and you understood that whatever you felt was your own fault to feel because it was your judgment against someone else. And I I, I like, I, I take my father as an example because I, there was a time this year where I literally thought, I don't know if I can be around this man because all I feel is anger and irritation and frustration. I'm so triggered. And I worked through it and I realized how much judgment I have had against my own father. And when I saw it, I felt heartbroken. And I was like, wow, how not nice it must have not been in a room with me. Mm. Could let go of that judgment and see that I was like wow and now our relationship is like better than it has been for many 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 years and I feel so connected to him and I see him way more often and it's so nice and like he will call me and it's calm and I see this even now I've seen some judgment now in the the guy I've been dating for a short space of time and I've seen how i place and. I'm working through it and seeing where that judgment is placed inside of me and it's so humbling in a way because when we can start to go that way we can really start to look inside and go okay so the answer to my problem is always inside
1: yeah yeah that's so key like that's something my mum did so so well to instill these ideas in me from just the moment I was born really um that Everything in your life is a reflection of you. So if you look around and you don't like what you see, you know, the question is not what's wrong with the world, but what am I choosing that is putting me here? And it's I've never questioned that idea. It's always right. And sometimes it's like the clear logical thought that I have around that you know, sometimes it gets buried in stress or, you know, you don't always think that clearly, do you? But I always, it's almost like a resurfacing. It's like, I'll have rage for someone or something for a period of time. And I'll think that that someone or something is the problem. And then eventually I surface. And actually, I'm always angry at myself. (laughs) You know, I'm always angry for something I am doing to myself because really or you know not. yeah I mean this is a this is a very complex subject because we are so free right we're women in 2021 white women who have grown up in very liberal societies so I guess I experienced the most freedom any woman could have right now you know so there is a part to play in that but in saying that you know I am free to choose so you know if there's something going on in my life that's making me angry it always comes back to me and the second I realize that it melts away you know it's like just understanding that allows you to let it go you know um but it it happens frequently I mean I'm still I'm still processing my rage (laughs) all the time. You know, I I've realized actually I have a lot of rage, a lot of, you know, historical rage that I've been holding on to, but yeah, I'm working through it nugget at a time, but, but I've always known that. And that's always turned out to be true. You know, I'm never really angry at anyone but myself when I finally work out what it is that's irking me, you know? Um, And yeah, and, and, you know coming back to sex like that's actually something I still wrestle with with the ability to be totally honest in asking for what I want um and I don't like the the ability to be assertive um in all of my life again they're they're so tightly connected it's not in the bedroom or in the world but in both simultaneously my biggest uh challenge my biggest challenge has always been assertiveness and being able to ask for what I want and need um in the bedroom as much as in life but I'm always working on that so even though I'm a I would I am a sexually confident person there are like, I don't know, you can break it down into different, almost like you can break a skill down into subsets, right? You can break it, you can break sexual confidence down into different areas. So, like I said, I have no problem standing in a room of strangers totally naked and I it honestly doesn't bother me. I'm honestly pleased to be there. I think my body is beautiful. Um, I have no shame about showing it. Um. And yet, I can still feel. Um, so I don't fear. I don't fear physical rejection, but I do at times fear rejection of asking for what I need, and the possibility of somebody shaming me for it or saying no. You know. Um, sure. So there's a lot of different. Yeah. So I think sexual confidence is not. It's not one thing. It's not like one complete picture. You know. Mm-mm. I definitely am sexually confident but there are times that I feel like I fail myself when I fail to ask for what I want
0: yeah I I I recognize myself in that as well um partly sometimes because you don't know how to ask like as you say like you might lack the vocabulary you might not be really sure what it actually is you just know that there is something Mm. Uh, yeah 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 man
1: Yeah, man, seriously, for reals.
0: It's such an awesome topic, though. Like, because I think I do feel like a lot of people don't talk about it in a way of because it comes back to vulnerability as well. Right. We are also so conditioned that like I was. No one talks sex with me. Actually, I remember I remember and maybe I'm traumatized by this, but I don't think I am. So after I lost my virginity and I broke up with that guy, I had a fight with my dad. And I was being what, it's like 15, 16 years old. So I was a bit, of, being a little bit of a brat, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember, and I told him that I'd broken up with him, and I was sad about it, but as sad as I knew I could be at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember he was saying, "But was it nice?" And I remember I was like, "Yeah, I, 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 yeah." I remember it so vividly. And I remember I was like, "No, it wasn't." Um, and was he
1: was he actually directly referring to the sex, or was that just that that was how you interpreted that question?
0: I don't know. Um, but uh, it was it was in the same conversation as I've had mm-hmm. sex and my virginity, and he was like, "Was it nice?" <laughs> it
1: <laughs> like, it's interesting though, even now that you as you remember that, it's like the reaction to that question is to kind of you know. Gasp in shock, you know, because it should be nice, right? And yet it's like we have such low expectations, I think, as women, um, Mm -hmm. of what it means to lose your virginity, even. You know, I had no expectations. And so, and it was a very horrible experience because I was just so desperate to get it over with. I gave it to the first person, you know, in the first situation. Um, because I felt like, because I was 17 and in England, that can be seen as quite late, I suppose. Um, and I guess I just felt like I was being left out. Um, I guess I, yeah, I didn't have any expectations of myself. I didn't think that I needed to enjoy it or for it to be with anyone that I liked or that it needed to be romantic. Um, There was no design, there was no choosing, you know, because I didn't feel like that was part of it for me. You know, I guess it comes down to self-esteem, right? Like, and again to shame. So it it was never planned. I never really got the talk about that, you know. It was hush, hush. I never told my mother. I never told, you know, I told friends, um, but it was never announced that I'd lost my virginity. And I think my mum did eventually find out. um, Hilarious story. Um, But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, I actually find that quite sad. And I don't like, I don't, I don't have regret. I don't like that word. I I like who I am. And I think that everything that happens in your life makes you who you are. So you can't possibly have regrets if you're happy. But looking back on that, what a waste, you know, of an experience. I just feel like what a sad waste. Like I could have made more of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. And I... I hope that when I have a daughter, um, I will manage to instill the right ideas in them so that they're going to be demanding, you know, candlelit dinner and, you know, (laughs) music, a playlist, silk sheets, you know, like all the stuff, you know, Hollywood tells you to expect, or at least if none of that stuff is present, that, you know, said daughter is actually having the time of her life. You know because i was literally it was like i was doing it just to tick a box and mm. i had absolutely no emotional connection to it at all um uh, yeah uh,
0: for me actually my first time was i wouldn't say it was massively like romantic uh it was at eighth grade school ending and the first time I think I had alcohol as well. So I wasn't like really, really drunk. But the guy, I'd, I, I had been dating him for a few months. And he was actually super sweet uh, up until mm. the point. Then once we started having sex, it just went really downhill from there. Um, but it was really sweet. Like I remember, and he was very like, do you really want to? Is it okay? Does it hurt? So I remember actually it being a quite nice experience. Um, that's good.
1: That makes me happy. That makes yeah. me happy for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like it could have been a lot worse for me. I wouldn't say that it was romantic by any means, but it was very considerate. Um so, but I remember that like, mm, it just fun. it hurts. I remember it was yes, just like it did. Yes. It and then I was like, is this what it's going to be like? And you know, so yeah, you know, in a way it was nice, to, I guess, to get it over with and realize that you have a fantasy of what it is. But something that you mentioned, which I want to just dive into, the Hollywood representation of love and sex. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Massively damaged by watching way too many Disney movies when it comes to what love is. And I've read that it has tainted my vision of what it is, that I have had expectations on the men I've attracted into my life to fulfill this princess dream of mine.
1: Yeah, to be a prince, to be a, you know, just the pinnacle of manhood to come and save you and sweep you off of your feet. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a raging feminist these days. Like, I didn't know what that word was when I was a teenager, but that's what I am. And Disney is so fucked up I'm just gonna say it like fucked up I saw a hilarious like meme the other day it was a collection of um illustrations someone reworking Disney and you know all the ways that Disney um goes against consent you know the fact that Snow White was asleep when he decided to kiss her and um you know the fact that um Beauty and the Beast you know it was like he can give you all the books you want but you're still a prisoner (laughs) it was just like yeah you know we grow up literally watching abuse you know and and it gets dressed up as a romantic ideal you know um this idea there's always a struggle um before the love can be you know and uh yeah it's uh again I think that's changing, and I'm so happy to see it, you know. Um, I, you know, it's sad, isn't it, right? We romanticise Disney and we have happy memories, but I certainly won't be probably showing my daughter's Disney um, and, you know, getting them hooked and thinking that that's normal because, it, yeah, it's a reflection of the era that these stories were made, and it's it's not good. Um,
0: need a, Disney needs to do a whole remake of all this all the films, but rewrite the plot.
1: Yeah, you know, actually, that's another thing my mother did, which was amazing and, I guess, changed my life forever. She gave me this amazing book. I was probably, like, six years old, and I've still got this book because I cherish it. I love it. It's called The Practical Princess. And uh, she probably gave me this when I was, like, six years old. And it's a collection of stories, and the central figure is always this princess. I can't even remember her name. It's something wonderfully, you know, it's like, Guinevere or you know it's something wonderfully like posh regal classic princess name but this whole book is her getting herself out of trouble she gets locked in a tower no one comes to save her she gets her she gets down all by herself you know a dragon comes to the village there's no knight to slay it she slays the dragon you know throughout this whole book it never deviates from that moral like no one ever comes and saves her you know it's basically like big old long Disney story but at the end the prince doesn't save her she saves herself and that's the moral of the story that you can't wait around flouncing around in a tower for someone to save you and um that like again this is with hindsight right you don't understand that at the time those things are influencing you but that had a huge impact on me the idea that the princess could save herself and that it was always a practical solution and actually hilariously I'm just going to deviate and tell your story the other day so So we haven't caught up in so long. I don't know if you know what I've been up to, but I'm running a recording studio with Esper now. Uh, We're basically renovating the whole studio. It's a huge and exhausting job, but there's always something going on. We were filing down a door because this door was too big for the doorway. We thought we could just trim a bit off. Everything will be fine. So after lots of exhausting filing, the door finally shut and we were like, yay. And then we realized the door was stuck shut. Um... Because the latch was fucked, and I was stuck on the inside, just stuck in a room on the inside of the door, and Esther was stuck on the outside, and um, and the only thing to be done, so I ended up, I ended up filing down the wood in order to expose the mechanism, was that I could bend the metal of the latch, hammer a sheet of steel in between the door and the frame and i freed myself and i felt like rambo you know it was like such a badass moment and i um, i was just so impressed with myself i'm just telling everyone the story cuz i was so impressed with myself but like yeah like that stuff feels so good you know like i rescued myself and i loved it but, but- i guess i i i always i grew up with a single mother and I basically never had a stepfather she was single for most of my childhood she dated now and again but I never had a father figure so I I grew up with a woman who was literally doing everything working raising kids running a house she owned her house that was a great role model to have um and I am and because of that yeah I never wait around to be rescued I'm a person who will just go at the door with a chisel and free myself you know um i love that
0: (laughs) i mean so did i i had a my mom mom and dad separated when i was four i mean she's had partners pretty much my entire but she was always the woman like she's she was the safe haven her men Mm. would come they would be more in need of her help rather than she's Mm. the savior right Mm -hmm. and So that's what I grew up with, Um, but something that you mentioned here, and I think, I mean, I'm the same, like I've grown up to be this like strong, independent, I can do it myself, need no one, watch me, you know, kind of resistant almost to get the help because it's like a pride thing. And like, if I don't know how to save myself, I don't know who I am kind of thing. But don't you think that that can be part of a problem as well, that we're now in a society where everyone is so independent because we're teaching people to be only independent when we're actually in an interdependent world? So yes, I know that I know my in relationships is that I either become too codependent because I've lost myself in one way or form. That's how it was like previously. But I can see now I'm, I'm fighting to keep my independency so there is no real connection because it can't be you and me and like this it needs to be interdependent if a relationship is going to actually thrive i think so that's something that i'm trying to around like how do i break down my independence to allow room for interconnectedness in a relationship and understanding that even though i can do things by myself i don't need to do them because i it's not how the world goes around we don't do everything so I'm struggling with that, you know? How do I yeah. ask help, even though I'm stubborn enough that I can figure shit out? How do I then bring people in to help me? Because that's how the world goes around and that's, you know, worthwhile, really. So that's my struggle yeah. right now.
1: But- that's, so, that's so huge, because I think um, gender roles are shifting so quickly that we're all confused as well now, at the moment. What is right, what is wrong, you know? What is prejudice, you know? like. Um, and it's something I struggle with as well. Um and I know that I can be probably quite challenging to be with in that sense because I think I can do everything by myself. I tend to try before I'll accept help. Um But do you think it's hard for me to accept help? Definitely.
0: Yeah. But But do you think it's we're so close to our grandparents' generation where it was a clear inferiority for women that we're still living with the scars of that, that we're still struggling to then ease, because we're trying to like we go in a whole different direction. And now it's like gone a bit too far. Yes, I
1: I see that totally.
0: But also because there still is inequality in this world in terms of like people's wages and like rights. And not like we see, I mean, not every woman in this world is free that yep. affect us. Even though you and I are free, we're white people born in white societies, uh, we've never had those kind of constraints, but we're aware that there are other women with constraints. So it makes us internally, it makes me infuriating inside, which then makes me go and like place judgment on every man or every...
1: Definitely, I wrestle with that as well. The, um, the just general anger at men. Um, I was having some kind of rant yesterday morning, you know, about inequality, you know, I, I've gotten to the point in my raging feminism where I'm like, why do I pluck my eyebrows? You know, why am I <laughs> just becoming a nightmare? You know, it's like how how far is too far? You know, do I just become a yeti monster and let all of the hair grow? Or, But yes, um, I, I totally identify with the grandparents' generation, especially because my grandparents in particular were so conditioned in that way they were so conservative my granddad was the breadwinner my grandmother was a housewife even though when they met she was a professional dancer um, she gave up her very exciting career you know in the 60s to be a single woman traveling around the world because they met on a cruise ship um, she was dancing or at least working as a dance teacher they met um, on a boat because she was on her way I think to New Zealand. In fact, it's funny now because I live in Australia, but this is where my grandparents, this is where the whole journey began. This is where my mother was conceived, actually. She was born in England, but she was conceived here because they travelled Australia extensively, my grandparents, together after they met. So they had this very exciting, romantic meeting. My grandfather was just travelling, making his way, exploring as a young man, looking for work, I guess looking for his purpose. Um, My grandmother was, you know, dancing professionally, a single woman. You know, 10,000 miles from home um, in an era and from a very conservative family. So in a lot of ways she had, it was even braver for her to be doing that. You know, my grandmother was from a really conservative family. So she'd really, I guess, thrown off the shackles and gone on this adventure. So they had this wonderful romantic meeting, you know, fell in love, traveled Australia. My grandmother got pregnant My grandfather said he wanted to raise the children in England and she could either go back to England with him or she could raise them on her own in Australia. And that's how that went because he was very conservative and it's like, okay, well you're pregnant now. We need to get married. We need to go home and you need to raise the children. So she gave it all up and she moved back to England and she was a housewife for the rest of her life and she never danced again. And you know, you can see it makes me emotional talking about it, right? Mm. Um, and she was miserable. They, they both were miserable, pretty much. And they had loads of money. They had a gorgeous house in the countryside. Okay. They had, they had kids. They had a cold marriage. They had separate bedrooms. Although, I'm not really against separate bedrooms. I'm just I'm just painting a picture here. I don't really think that means, you know, it's not, it's not as drastic as it seems, but... And they, you know, and they passed on their shit. And my mum had a really miserable upbringing. Um, and they expected her to do the same thing, to get married, to be our wife. Um, so... My mum is a twin, so my mom has a twin brother. So they raised my mum's twin to take over the family business. He got a private education, he got a car first. They raised him to be the man of the house. And my mum, who's exactly the same age, they raised her to be a housewife. So, you know, literally the gender divide in my family is literal, like, straight down the middle women are wives they don't run businesses um and of course you can imagine you know my mum that had a real effect on her and um like she's done an amazing job to like in one generation like i i um the product of her completely undoing that conditioning like just in the space of her lifetime it's amazing yeah um yeah it's amazing and I'm so grateful you are yeah I've literally seen both sides you know she raised me she said you can do whatever you want um You can be whatever you want. You can have whatever career you want, you know, go and find a way, basically. Um, Yeah. Um, There was never any expectation of me getting married at any particular, or or ever, you know, (laughs) any particular age or ever. Like, you know, um, she didn't place any expectations on me to create any kind of family you know to carry on the legacy or to yeah it's amazing it amazes me knowing because I knew my grandparents like they're they're both dead now these so this is my mum's parents obviously you have two sets of grandparents my dad's parents died a little earlier I never really knew them um so I can't really speak much to how they molded our family you know, um, but my mum's parents, I knew I'd spent a fair bit of time with. And, yeah, it must have been tough growing up with them. I didn't even like to stay there. They were so strict and they were so regimented that as a child, I didn't enjoy having to spend the night. You know, I would say, no, please don't make me, <laughs> Like, mm. you know, no, I don't want to go for a sleepover, like, you know, um, which is the complete opposite of how it should be.
0: I was the th- I mean, both of my grandparents and I was lucky, they were all kind of alive for a very long time. I had all of my grandparents until I was about 20. Um, and there is the same there. Like the men were highly successful, one in finance, one was an aircraft pilot, uh, and also in the Air Force when he was younger. And the wives would just become housewives. Yeah. So seeing it. I mean, I, I, I saw my, my, my maternal grandparents as still loving and had a, a really nice dynamic. But when my granddad died 10 years ago, my grandma, she blossomed. Like she's living her best life when she's 89. Or she's like 80. Yeah, she's like high 80s. Wow. And she's living her best life. She's really taking a claim of this life. Not saying that the life she had was bad because they had a beautiful marriage, but obviously being suppressed because your choices is not yours to make it's always someone else's first choice that will go over yours yeah Uh, and i guess in a way accepting it and finding happiness and peace in that uh, type of relationship it can still be a beautiful relationship but it's still a suppressed self Um, yeah so, so i see that and then then going like looking at my mom she never married um and I, I can see that my mom would have had a lot of anger towards that type of misogynistic uh, in, inferiority for women, um, for sure. Um, so it's just, and, and this, it goes back to it, like uh, we are, the society is changing and so are we, but then are we going too far away from it? Because there is a beautiful thing in the, I, mean, I don't think that we have to get married, but there's a beautiful thing in the unity, right? Um, and we know that people who are the happiest in life are usually the ones who are in a, in a relationship like the people who live the longest of course you can be in an unhappy relationship but the people like live the longest and are the happiest they're usually the ones who are in marriage or like in a really long-term relationship where they have a companion because I think by nature yeah. that's what we're meant to have we find a companion oh, yeah. right so it is it is the fear of breaking free from what we have what we have experienced in our lifetime now yours and my kids if we ever have any they might never see that because they've never seen it firsthand but it is part of our DNA because you and I have the fear of inferiority so it's going yeah. to us down in generations um definitely so yeah but it's just an interesting thing uh, wow yeah this-
1: and it's uh- I know it's gone deep right we've gone deep But um, as I said, never never isolated. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the inferiority complex—the constant need to prove yourself, to prove that you can do more, or at least do as well, or do as much, or you know, literally down to the literal physical—I can lift as many boxes as you. um, You know, ridiculous. And maybe you can, but maybe you don't need to if it's easier for someone else. You know, that's the thing. I think. I think teamwork is an art form, but we shouldn't be trying. I've Unfortunately, like I'm old enough to remember life before the internet. And obviously I've got to see life after the internet. And it's like, we are so disconnected now because you can be alone. You can shop online. You can uh, find company online. You, you know, you don't Google, you don't need to, you don't need the recommendations or advice of family and friends because you can Google anything you want to know. You know, you used to have, have to ask your mate for a recommendation for a hairdresser or the dentist, or do you know what I mean? You don't need that anymore because you can Google and read the reviews. Like we don't need people in the same way that we used to. We used to literally rely on our friends and neighbors for information and we do not need it. And often the internet will give you better information than your friends or neighbors. So there's no point asking. And also the simple question of how are you has become a greeting, not a question. We know how people are because we see them all day long on the internet. Like it's not a question. You know how people are before you speak to them. So it's, you know, there's been a huge shift. And so, we've gotten this false idea, and this is what I've realized about myself recently. We've gotten a false idea that we can do everything on our own, but the, the best results always come still from teamwork. And now that I'm running a business, you know, this is becoming glaringly obvious. You cannot do huge projects on your own. You need friends, you need friends that know things because we've pulled a few experts off of Google that turn out they're not so expert, do you know what I mean? That people are just too scared to post the negative reviews. So, you know, and I wish I'd, I'm finding that I wish that I had asked people I actually knew before I did the research. This is what I'm finding like, Google cannot replace the advice your friends and family and first-hand accounts you know and real connections and real recommendations um so i'm actually i'm going back the other way like i'm on the internet less and less i cannot be bothered to use social media i cannot even be bothered to communicate with people unless it's face to face because i get no joy from it um I'm going back the entirely other way, like all about community networking, meeting real people in my local area, you know, who actually know the stuff around me. Like, yeah, we've, we've definitely lost community, but we definitely need it.
0: Bringing it back to sex then, we can't Google our way to better sex. Actually, I really think that the, the most that I've learned is by sharing my experiences and thoughts with someone like yourself, with someone like Marie and Marie, who I used to live with, and actually to talk about it in a way that now I don't feel alienated from my own thoughts and feelings about it. And then understanding that we're all kind of similar. We're all thinking the same ways. And then we've just had different ways of trying things out and experiencing things. And, and so I I genuinely think that the rise of my self Pleasure and sexuality has literally just been because I'm surrounded by people who has enabled me to become that person. Not yes, because I've
1: 100 percent up- it It's literally the stories that you share with people you can be again, it comes down to honesty and vulnerability. You know, when you're surrounded by a group of friends that you can really be honest and vulnerable with, you tell each other the truth, you know, the ugly truths of the stories, you know, all the embarrassing, shameful things that have happened. And um, yeah you learn so much but actually yeah Bring it back to what you said earlier about your experience of losing your virginity the first time so I had this idea because it was a horrible experience um I had this idea that that's just how it was that it was always going to be a horrible experience the first time until my friend told me about the first time she lost her virginity and I realized you know and she'd had the perfect experience they'd rented a luxury hotel room and there were candles and rose petals and and she'd had a lovely, lovely experience and she was not, there's also this thing that happens sometimes in social circles where when you're younger, I think you grow out of this as you get older and you're more yourself, but when you're a young woman in like your teens, you know, everyone will just agree with what the leader says, you know, so one person will offer a story and and everyone will just agree so the first person that happens to bring up everyone yeah 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 that's how it is that's how it was for me too but my friend Jamie you know I was ranting on about how well it's never pleasant that's just the way it is and my friend you know she was bold enough to tell me you know even in the face of my ranting and my you know I'd made my mind up but she was bold enough to offer the truth you know the truth was she'd had a totally different experience yeah and it, it opened my eyes it changed my mind you know it it's so powerful, a different perspective from someone you really know. So, you know, it's true and you know, it's honest, you know. I was just going to say, can you really trust people on the internet? You know, because we're, we're all tempted to put up a facade and portray a version. You know, how many people are truly comfortable just being themselves, you know, online particularly
0: no one so we 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 have to rely on each other because otherwise we just have a false idea of what life should be like and it's not like that life is traumatic and i think to just accept that that life is trauma and trauma is actually uh not a bad thing it's a it's a state which we can grow and learn from Um, Obviously, I wanted to bring you on this podcast and talk about all this. I really, I got so much out of it and I really hope that the listener have found this interesting um, and maybe we'll have another chat on another topic or the same topic because I feel like there's so oh, much yeah. more to travel. Uh, definitely, really yeah. About what positions works or not the next time. Exactly, I'm just-
1: like we haven't even, we've barely scratched the surface. There's so much to discuss. Mm. you after have to do a part two.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> so guys if you have enjoyed this podcast uh share with a friend connect with us in any way or form my name is emily anger on instagram and that's usually what i say joe if they want to reach out to you for any reason like how could they find you even though you might not be active
1: um i would love people to reach out to me um i am i'm shamefully active on instagram these days because of music actually i do i have to use it can't avoid it um it's At Joanna T Music. That is me. We like that. All right, guys. Until next week, take
0: care. Uh, We appreciate you and uh, see you soon.